0: I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack.
1: Hello there, welcome. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of How I Got Here. This is uh, Focuswire and Mozio's uh, weekly podcast where we look at the stories behind innovation and entrepreneurship in travel and transportation. Welcome everybody for tuning in. Thanks ever so much. Uh, I dare say we're delighted this week to be joined by uh, Randy Peterson, no less. Uh, for those of you that have never heard of Randy Peterson, I'm going to give a very short introduction and he'll tell us a lot about himself. But Randy is the, uh, the founder of Flyer Talk, Inside Flyer. The Freddie Awards and has been involved in a lot in between. He actually began Inside Flyer in 1986 as a magazine. Flyer Talk began in 1995, which was one of the first, if not the first, web forums about aviation. He actually uh, retired, uh, dare we have to put that in inverted commas, in 2015, but not before launching Boarding Area in 2008 as a web service for road warriors. It's been described by the mainstream media as the most influential frequent flyer in America and a frequent flyer guru. But this is the one that I really liked. In his own words, he says on his LinkedIn page, I didn't invent frequent flyer program, just the news about them. So thank you very much, uh, Randy Peterson, for joining us on how I got here. We're delighted that you're here.
2: Well, nobody's more pleased to be here than me. After all these years, I finally made it. Look who I'm talking to.
1: (laughs) Uh, Flattery will get you nowhere, Randy. But anyway, (laughs) as always, as always with the How I Got Here uh, podcast, we start off with this very standard question. And that is, can you tell us how you got here?
2: Well, you know, it started in the galaxy a long, long time ago. You already named a year, 1986. <laughs> now I'm pretty sure that that's probably a year before most of the people listening were even born. And, uh, indeed, uh, I was the water cooler guy. You've heard stories about the guy around the water cooler. Well, that was me working in men's retail, uh, chain of young men's clothing stores. And, um, one day, uh, uh, I'm an Iowa farm boy, and the idea of travel was, yeah, uh, eh, pretty, pretty uh, distant to me. But anyway, in the, in the travel in the uh, retail business, I managed to travel a little bit, and I was the guy who actually figured out how to read the fine print. So I figured out the fine print of these things called frequent flyer programs, and believe it or not, I started off by believing the airlines because the airlines at that time said. TWA told me, if you do this, Randy, you can go to Hawaii for free. Well, I did that, read the fine print, and guess what? Ended up in Hawaii for free. Thus, the water cooler, because when I came back, everybody I worked with wanted to know how they could go to Hawaii for free. So I started to make things up. I invented Eastern Airlines, I invented People Express, and... Along the way, some people managed some free trips. And then one day I got called into uh, the office of my boss, a uh, big VP guy. And I'm thinking, oh boy, <clears throat> I'm about to be fired because word around the company is, I've been spending too much time in the water cooler. Anyway, a guy by the name of Rocky Sullivan said, hey Randy, <clears throat> I hear you know a lot about frequent flyer programs. And instantly I knew I wasn't gonna get a two week notice to find a new job. Anyway, he said, I can't figure out my Marriott redemption. And a light bulb went on because I would have been saying at holiday ends all the time in the company travel policy, and all of a sudden, Rocky's asking me about how to redeem miles for Marriott's program. Anyway, I figured it out, and I also figured out Rocky's a smart guy, makes a lot of money, and he's a smart guy why did rocky can't figure out maria and this was in the early 80s anyway i asked rocky that question he says i don't have time so along the way i figured you know what i've got some time because i did what a lot of entrepreneurs did we fire first and then we aim so i quit my job and forced myself to figure out how to become a publisher of frequent flyer information. So two days after uh, (laughs) quitting the job, last day at work, I wake up one morning and go, what the hell have I done to myself now? No income, living in New Jersey, and uh, no smart business plan. In fact, I don't even know what a business plan was. I was a starter off in college playing football, black black history major of all things, and I was just a freewheeling guy. So anyway, I saw an ad from Apple Computers, figured out how to do desktop publishing, and thus Inside Flyer was off and running. Got lucky in that I found out that fellow travelers were also interested in how to fly for free. Did pretty good with that. Kept playing it forward and grew from there. So Inside Flyers, a magazine, got started in 86. In 87, I'm thinking, well, let me do something different. So I started to publish information on NewsNet and CompuServe in 1987 and got paid a lot of money by Prodigy, AOL, and stuff because there was no free internet. And I'm thinking technology is a lovely thing. So I made some (laughs) money then. (coughs) And then I came up with this other dumb idea. The idea was, is everybody started asking me who has the best frequent flyer program. Well, Randy says, I know what's good for me, but I don't know what's good for you. So I figured I'm going to wimp out on this and I'm going to ask other people who has the best frequent flyer program. So in 1995, I uh, came up with this idea of uh, flyer talk. It was a good idea, it was really a bad idea. And uh, the uh, first couple months, I ended up closing flyer talk down. The idea was, as I didn't know at the time, I was too early. Every day coming in uh, uh, and looking at the posts of frequent flyers, 99% of them I had to delete. The idea was the Scandinavians were ahead of me first and they thought the internet was for, for picking up chicks. Everything was about where's the party, where's the girls at? So every day, if there were 100 posts, I deleted 99 of them. It was a bad idea. I should have started Match.com then because I could have got a dating service with all the uh, traffic of where the girls are. So anyway, I closed Flyer Talk down because it just wasn't the idea of working. A year or so went by, and then I restarted Flyer Talk with the help of a lot of employees who were my moderators, if you will, and it got started. One thing I learned is the earlier days, the wisdom of the crowd, the idea that I found other people to tell people who had the best frequent flyer program, not me. And uh, that's how I got started in that area, is just kind of moving things forward and then, one thing about Flyer Talk is I realized that over time, there was a lot of noise and signal problems. That was the early days of the internet. And uh, with that, I realized that on Flyer Talk, people were starting to pay attention to certain members of Flyer Talk. And they would follow them around to watch what they had to say, whether it was in a Marriott Forum, an American Forum, United, or Southwest. It didn't really matter. So the idea was the boarding area got started then because I figured out, you know, if there's 800 posts in a forum thread, there's probably only four or five of them that had good information. So how do I filter that down so people could just see the good information and not all the other things? Thus, boarding area got started and the idea of a weblog format, and today uh, does pretty well. So anyway, that's uh, how I got here. Uh, It was the easy way. No business plan. I still can't read a P&L sheet. Uh, I never had any money. I still don't have any money. I started with $800. Along the way, as most entrepreneurs do, I did all the things right. I had my car repossessed. I had all of my stuff in storage and couldn't pay the rent on storage because I was going to make inside flyer work. I lost all my uh, personal belongings. So, indeed, my story is not unlike most other travel and entrepreneurs and others, in that we go all in or we don't go.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Randy Peterson. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. That was great. It's really interesting. So, um, it's difficult to know where to start. I mean, obviously. With, with a lot of our guests we all say we start diving in at the beginning but I, i'm quite interested because you know the 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 accolade i think that was given to you by i think it was the new york times in uh, 1988 which was just a couple of years after you launched that was when you were already being labeled a frequent flyer guru which is really quite quick after just coming on the scene almost i mean how did you as a as an entrepreneur kind of get your head around the fact that you were already being lauded in the mainstream press, first of all. And the flip side to that question, Randy, is what did the airlines make of you within that short period of time?
2: Well, that's a really good question. I think the difference in that and uh, uh, the idea of Guru was was earlier on. Yeah, I, I I got lucky with that. I think part of it was is that I realized that I alone only had one experience, but to, be, to build up a reputation to be authentic, if you will, for my fellow frequent travelers, I had to know what I was talking about. So I became the ultimate road warrior. 300 days a year on the road was nothing to me. But I spent my time not doing fam trips, not doing trying to be an influencer. I spent all my time in the offices and boardrooms of every airline and every hotel company in the world i became an expert at reading stuff on their desk upside down i became an expert of leaving an office and quickly writing three pages of notes of stuff i saw erased on bulletin boards uh, snippets of conversations from somebody who walked into the room while we were having a meeting and mentioned something i became a student of the travel industry and i think that's how the guru thing that uh, came around because when people ask me questions i actually knew the answer i knew the answer from a lot of good research true me i was i've been uh visited 100 countries where there's a national airline or a hotel company from Aeroflot to Qantas, you name it, and all the places in between. And I think the guru came around from frankly having no competition, (laughs) because earlier on, everybody told me to get a real job. That's what happens. Frequent flyer programs in the 80s were a gimmick. You know, even uh, the head of Hyatt said, we can't We don't think freedom flyer programs are real. People love our name, Hyatt. They're not going to be influenced by this gimmicky miles and points thing. So I took advantage of the fact that everybody told me to get a real job. I took advantage of the fact that I knew and I learned earlier on that travel was a passion. Travel was basically the original physical social media that people love interacting with other travelers and getting their opinion on where to eat, where to fly, what to see, whatever it might be. And uh, I think that's what I have learned earlier on. Now, again, I had no schooling in that. It's by osmosis, no business plan, no knowledge of anything. All I saw was a commercial on by Apple computers on a TV, and I became a desktop publisher, and along the way, It was frankly hard work because I went out on the road and became an expert by doing two things. One is hearing. The other was listening because I would go into the airlines and hotel companies and I do with with my fellow frequent flyers is I'm listening to what they're saying, but I'm hearing and trying to figure out why did they say that and why were what question were they asking so it was the whole process of that and uh so along the way i became a guru grew my hair a little bit longer (laughs) and uh hey that's the way it goes
1: just just before i i I hand over to david (laughs) is It's interesting, you know. When you go right back to the beginning of the answer. You said, Randy, that um, you know you would go into boardrooms and you would look at the notes on the wall, and you look became an expert in reading things upside down, which is which which is terrific. But how quickly were you able to get into boardrooms? I mean, that's not that's quite a mean that's a mean thing to be able to to do quite quickly, I would presume.
2: Yeah, I, again, I got lucky because uh, first of all. There was not a lot of competition then. Everybody was still thinking that uh, um, these were gimmicky programs. However, you know, there's one thing about being a kind of an Iowa farm boy. It's just the old aw shucks and friendliness of the Midwesterns, if you will. And so it was, I think it was my, and later on, uh, uh, I was uh, labeled uh, as a business guy, a surfer dude type of uh, business guy. It was kind of my relaxing, how can I help you, please and thank you type of thing. In terms of the airline, I think it was because there was a void and there was nobody doing any of that. So, and the other part of it, and this is really, really key for the industry, is as I got a few readers and occasionally USA Today or Wall Street Journal or New York Times would mention me, I would reach out to an airline because I'm trying to get connections and learn stuff about this industry. I was really, truly wanting to be a student. But they would always say, well, you're members, Randy, and you're readers. Well, earlier on, I was trying to figure out what they were playing with me. And what they were playing is they were trying to put everything on me in terms of, their default of lack of customer service, their default of lack of marketing strategy in the early days of frequent flyer programs. And I quickly corrected them. And this is how I became an authority because I pointed out to them, these are not my customers. These are your customers. And it took a while for that to kind of set in for the industry because they were they were interested in thinking that the people uh, the uh, travelers of Flyer Talk and the readers of Inside Flyer were other people. They weren't. They they were owned by other people. And I was saying no, they aren't owned by me. Their voices and opinions of you are about your product as a customer of yours. And yeah. I think that took me a while, but once that set in, they go, whoa, this guy's really serious. And he's right. These are our customers. Thanks.
0: So Randy, thanks for, for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. I. Uh, first of all, I think we should introduce you to the founder of Wayne, that travel social network we interviewed in the last uh, one, because he also has a funny experience realizing that a lot of people were using his site for dating instead of the intended <laughs> uh, reason. <laughs> so you guys can maybe go off and start dot uh, match.com for travelers together. Um, but I wanted to delve a little bit into the community you built. So there's this great story uh, about how there's a bet between the CEO of continental airlines and a, a participant of your site about, uh, you know, could it, uh, could yeah. 60 people from flyer talks, you know, fly out on the all expense paid to, you know, to contentals headquarters and two, 274 uh, actually turned up uh, all with their own paying their own expenses. Let me clarify. And I, you know, communities are really tough to curate and to not squash. And clearly you did a really good job of that. If this, people felt this, you know, urge to you know, all fly out. And I'd love to, for you to tell us a little bit about how you, you curated that community and how you, you kept it alive.
2: Yeah, that's that's another good question about the socialization of travel, if you will. Uh, One thing I learned earlier on is, again, there's a passion point of travel. There's also a passion point about hobbies. And I figured out earlier on that travel and miles and points as a hobby there was an intersection there. So I took advantage of the passion uh, of what a hobby is, whether it's needlepoint, whether it's hot rods, whether it's the BMW car club, I took that passion and funneled it into the topic of travel. But honestly, all that success had names on it. And the name wasn't Randy. The names were N.J. David, Catman, Rudy, Punky, Lucky Coins, uh, Chexman, Radio Flyer—all the handles of the users of Flyer Talk—and then couple that with sounds like of, your biker gang. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, my but in the earlier days of the internet, you didn't really know who was on the other side of the keyboard. Was it a dog? Was it uh, whatever it might have been? And so that's kind of the earlier thing. And the other thing I realized is that the internet, while today is keyboard to keyboard, that reality in the earlier days was, and I referenced earlier, is the physical social media. So earlier on, we started something called uh, DOES, D-O apostrophe S. And these were uh, meetings, if you will, of like-minded, frequent travelers. So we started to do that. One of the first ones was in 1999 in Hawaii. We had 80 people show up in Hawaii who none of them had ever met each other. The idea was, is, and the joke was, is that, wait a second, what if I flew to Hawaii and this was all a fake? It was all a game. There was nobody else on the other side of the keyboard. But that started the influx of these social media. Today, there's probably hundreds if not thousands of these do's that occur every day, all over the world, if you will. And what it is, is it's the idea that we can talk about travel, we can write about travel, but when I get face to face with you, the passion really comes out. And I think that's where community really started was uh, secondary to the wisdom of the crowd and the idea that somewhere there was an answer for every question about travel. But the other idea was socially, I'm a person. Socially, humans love social contact. And by creating these dues and really funding them, promoting them at events of travel, uh, around topics of miles and points. And to your point, the continental thing, Well, you know, again, a CEO of an airline still, all these years later, never believed that there was truly an interest in miles and points, even though he had a a, a gazillion people belonging to his frequent flyer program.
0: It almost seems like, you know, to, to elaborate a little bit more on that story, I think if I remember correctly, that story was the, the guy on Flyer Talk literally emailed the Continental CEO, Colt. Yep. And it seems like there was a time when aviation was more ex- accessible. Uh, I can't imagine, and I've been in the travel industry for nine years, is even like me, just emailing the American Airlines CEO, Colt, and having him actually respond or care about my opinion. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you think about the way these these programs have gone and, and aviation in general uh
2: you know it, that that's a a good question as well too because when you've been doing this as long as i have uh and being lucky at it uh um i've i've seen everything and what we see today are semblances of things that I've i've seen before The downside that I've never been a fan of, but I get it business because I'm in the C to C business. A lot of the travel people you'll talk to are B to C or B to B. They have an e-commerce motive uh, into that. And I love that as a, as an entrepreneur business. I think that's great. Me, there was never an e-commerce moment. So the idea of frequent flyer programs is that when I read about the, the billions of dollars of credit card referrals and credit card miles and points and and decisions based upon a spreadsheet, uh, that gets to me because I still view this as a hobbyist. And I think if we were a hobbyist and you look at, at uh, Porsche changing the design of a 911, there would be an uproar among the crowd. And I think that's still the thing. But the good thing about frequent flyer programs is that today, uh, everybody is an influencer in frequent flyer programs. When I first started, hey, guess what? There was a thing called a fax machine. You might not have heard it, but it was a pretty cool thing back in the day. Today, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, everybody has a megaphone, and frequent flyer programs have built these social units around listening to customers. So I think that's probably the biggest change in through the years in that they'd really no longer have to watch what's being said on Flyer Talk. They can watch the same thing being said in public on Facebook or Twitter.
0: So I kind of... Two follow-up questions to that. One: How do you monetize a C to C? I love that—that that it's not B to C, not B to B. And we've interviewed, you know, a lot of people on on this podcast now, and it's usually one of the two. And you're the first one to have a C to C business model. So how do you how do you monetize that? And what is the future of actually now that Twitter, like you said, is doing a lot of that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, well, you know, the thing that keeps me up at night still is what this dude, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey are doing. To me, competition is not about the next website about miles and points or the next blog or anything. It's what Facebook is doing and what Twitter is doing. That is truly the competition. In terms of monetization, I was lucky because I'm not really a very smart business guy. One, I still don't know how to read a P&L sheet or a a business plan. I never had a business plan, never had budgets. I don't know what any of that is. So for anybody listening out there, just create the best job in the world for yourself. That's all that I did. Monetization, interestingly enough, was never a topic for me until one thing happened. And it's called the internet brands. Uh, in 2007, I got a call from internet brands about wanting to buy Flyer Talk. And I had never, ever to that point thought about monetization or money because up until 2007, I continued to fund Flyer Talk, the operations and stuff, through revenues derived from inside Flyer. M- keep moving my investment forward, if you will. But the interesting thing is that I'd never made any money from flyer Talk because the expenses were higher than revenue. And that was back in the day when advertising is probably the only legitimate revenue. Although I wasn't as smart as the TripAdvisor guys to figure out, well, we could have made a lot of money off of booking fees or stuff like that. So the idea of monetization came around when uh, internet brands called and said, we're thinking of buying flyer talk. And I said, no, because I had no other answer. I didn't, this is a guy with no business plan. Don't really think about money, loves the fact that I have fellow travelers to chat with and love the fact that I've got great employees. So interestingly enough, I said no 11 times and they finally wore me down. And uh, Flyer Talk came around, the purchase came around from uh, actually Jerry Greenwald, who was a former CEO of United Airlines. And he was on the board of Internet Brands. And when Internet Brands thought about break, breaking out and travel, Jerry said, You need to talk to this Randy guy. He runs this thing called Flyer Talk. And I was pretty impressed to hear that story later on that Jerry finally learned about Flyer Talk, which is good because he used to diss it a little bit earlier on in the earlier days. But the idea was uh, monetization. Uh, I only learned about money when I got a wire for the purchase of Flyer Talk. That's the first time I learned about money. I didn't know what money was before then. I knew what expenses were. And my job, even after 30 years, is I only have one goal, I gotta make payroll in two weeks. That's the only thing that I know about finance. Uh, advertising is probably the only general thing out there. However, along with Flyer Talk, we introduced things uh, such as called premium membership, where we would go and bundle services and ideas behind Frequent Flyer programs and sell those to members. So uh, subscription-based stuff, we started that earlier on. Uh, advertising was uh, really nascent. I mean, it was uh, no money. In fact, we was losing money uh, when Flyer Talk got sold. Uh, I made some money from Flyer Talk, invested that in boarding area, and kind of move uh, that little bit forward.
1: So I've I've got a question for you, Randy. And um, with with such a voice and you know the label of guru and the most influential person, and. Um, were there points when your kind of influence actually made airlines or others actually change strategy as a result of what you'd been writing about, the influence that you had, the groundswell of opinion that you were able to create through things like Flyer Talk and stuff like that? I.e., did you almost become like a, a quasi-lobbyist in some respects? for some uh,
2: Yes, I did. Uh, and I, I say that, honestly, with pride because there wasn't anything that happened and this is the earlier years of frequent flyer program. there wasn't anything to happen where readers wouldn't call me write me fax me or email me and say Randy we need you to we need you to fix this we need you to have a voice and at first, I'm not sure I was prepared for that because I'm not a community activist, I'm not a leader. I Again, I'm not a B-school guy. I played football in college and and uh, that was about it. And I wasn't team captain. Um, so the idea of this came about and I, I, I think I got actively involved because that's what my readers wanted me to do. So I became the accidental tourist. And in essence, I became what my membership wanted me to be because I had no life plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I created the world's best job. You (laughs) two decide. David and Kevin can decide if you've got the second best job in the world. But I claim the throne (laughs) of the world's best job. Now, the idea of this responsibility – it comes with caveats because everything that happened, people would want me to fix. I couldn't fix everything, but I can tell you I I was lucky in that I did implement a lot of change out there. And the interesting thing is through all this, I never hired a PR firm. I never paid for traffic. I never paid for likes. Everything I did was just, kind of organic, and a lot of the things I would do, uh, I wouldn't necessarily write about. I, uh, it was just, that's my job. My job was to serve my readers, and I think that's the best part of what I do is I always got satisfaction thinking I was helping them and knowing I was helping them, but indeed, I, I did force a lot of change earlier on, and even though my prime is way past, understand that. I get it. I hope everybody else gets it. But today, yesterday, last week, I still get calls for when things aren't right in travel, let's get Randy in here. And it's like, wow, I'm disappointed that nobody else has taken up that torch because I thoroughly believe that individuals of frequent flyer pro and travelers in general absolutely need to have a voice and it's really difficult when there's too many voices. It's that noise-to-signal type thing. I became a signal type guy, and uh, yeah, change, change was good. I think we kept the programs in in check for some things. And I like I let them know behind the scenes. Says you know what, you can do what you want, but I tell you. Uh, you're not going to be a hero to me. And, uh, you know, there are some things that they came back on and never made the news or the headlines. And I was happy to see that, but they knew I was always honest with them. First of all, second of all, I always paid my own wife. I, my goal was to earn all the frequent flyer miles in the world. So when I would visit an airline, I paid for my own ticket. Yeah. They would say, Hey, we'll give you a ticket. I said, no, 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 no. I don't earn miles off of non-revenue tickets. You keep your money, you run a better airline, I'll pay my way. So along the way, you know, I've got my 20, 30 million miles because I paid for those damn things and I'm pretty proud of it.
1: It could be many influencer and blogger can learn a thing or two from you. Just a very, very quick follow-up on that one. I mean, with the change that you were able to create within airlines and their programs how did you as you you know you've referenced a couple of times Randy you know you're the 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 humble farm boy how did you um kind of cope with that sense of responsibility that you had or did you did you just think that was something natural that came along as part of what you were doing
2: well you know it's kind of like marvel comics if you will in real life and that (laughs) i was a mild-mannered guy and when i took on this mantle if you will of being the editor of inside flyer the founder of flyer i changed into my superman suit so that was kind of a different thing for me because if people know me i mean most people know me for my tequila collection or the idea that outside of miles and points i'm a modern day cowboy i go to my ranch every weekend But the idea of miles and points, I would go from my mild mannered self and put on my Superman suit to talk to airlines or to address frequent flyers or to be out in front of what was happening. And, you know, I'll go back to something I said a little bit earlier. I have absolutely no talent for any of this success. I got lucky, right place, right time. But the nuance of the difference between listening and hearing is. All that I have to think, because every time somebody said something to me, I was thinking, why are they saying that? What is it that they're trying to learn? What is it they're trying to do with that information? So that's the subtle difference between, and a lot of people spend their time just hearing people, not really listening to people. And I I think part of my my. My livelihood, if you will, and, and the idea that I have the world's best job is that I continue to try and figure out why you, Kevin, were answering that, asking that question, or David, or anybody else <laughs> that I do out there. And uh, you know, that's the fun part of life is, and that's the social element. So,
1: I, I keep saying a, a quick follow up. I. Do have another?
2: <laughs> oh, your your time's done, Kevin. Uh, okay. One more, okay.
1: Do 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 you think? Are you trustworthy of authority because of the things that you learned through listening, and as opposed to hearing, and hearing, or as opposed to listening, or whatever it is? Did you find that the people that you were talking to, I mean, in between senior, powerful airline execs and others that are involved in programs, were you trustworthy of what they were doing?
2: Oh, I knew I shouldn't have given you one more question.
1: Uh, <laughs> Sorry.
2: No, no, actually, I'm glad I gave you one more question. And uh, uh, a good question. There's really only one answer for that, Kevin, and, It's the same answer I would have had in 1986, as I have in 2020. Indeed, I was trustworthy. And I I think that those who actually know me, of course on the internet, people pretend they know you sometimes, but of those that actually know me, would say that, indeed, Randy does his research. He has no party line and interestingly enough, I'm not pro frequent flyer versus pro industry. I'm absolutely in the middle and I can say to you, Kevin, I can say to anybody listening out there, there are times where I had to tell frequent flyers, you're wrong on this, the industry gets this. And that's the way the world works in a real trustworthy thing. I'm not on one side of things. I was never always just about the frequent flyer. I was in my role, get on my Superman outfit. My goal was to be, and I never started out to be this, to be a trustworthy arbiter. And I would look at a situation on a change with a frequent flyer program or a hotel program and what maybe some frequent flyers were doing. And I would make a judgment call on that. Some would say, oh, you deserted, Randy. You're, You're falling in with the airlines. And I go, I can live with that because at the same time, I slept well at night knowing that when you're in the middle, if you're always in the middle, and truly in the middle, you have to believe sometimes you're going to be on one side, sometimes you're going to be on the other side. And that's still the same today from 1986 to 2020. Thanks.
0: Very impressive. It's funny, uh, when Kevin used the word lobbyist, I thought actually at first consumer advocate, and the more you talked, actually the word arbiter came into my mind, and then you just said it. And so I thought, I was like, oh, perfect. That's exactly kind of what I came to understand your role to be as well. But I have one last question before we let uh, Kevin wrap it up Here is You've alluded to this tequila collection, to this ranch, and I, I feel like there's some war stories we can get out of you. So you I know, wanted to ask you, what's your top war story uh, from all of your time, uh, with F flyer talk and, and all of your ventures.
2: Oh, war story. Boy. Uh, it would take a couple of weeks and a couple of months and maybe the rest of my lifetime war story. Um, war story. Uh, okay. Uh, here it is. Um, uh, Years ago, in the earlier 90s, I got involved in, uh, uh, we were managing frequent flyer programs for frequent flyers. And uh, I created basically what was the first kind of rewards manager or consolidated statement. And we had sold the idea or attracted the attention from American Express. And they adopted it and loved the idea. So we became the smallest company they had ever vetted become a full partner of American Express. And they launched the gold card in the 90s of which this rewards manager and mileage manager was a key function of it, key part of it. We launched it, they said, you know, we think we'll get 80,000 people on the first run of this credit card. Went out, they had uh, 220,000 on the first launch and called me up a week later and said, can you expand up to 500,000? And I'm thinking, this is the best day of my life. This is fabulous. Went on, first month went by, second month going great, making money, tons of stuff. And of course, this is before email and uh, all the other stuff. So every day at my office, the mailman would, back up a big truck and haul out bags of these statements of frequent flyers because what we did is we took all of the manual frequent flyer statements and consolidated those in a new statement which was a composite of airlines hotels all this stuff so anyway life's going great i'm thinking this is the coolest damn thing in the world i got a call one day from my amex rep and he says you know who Ron Allen is? And I go, Well, I only know one Ron Allen. He's the CEO of Delta Airlines. Uh, and I've met him and seemed like a nice guy. Why do you ask? Well, Ron Allen and uh Ken Chennal, the uh, uh CEO of American Express at the time were in the middle of, well, they'd got called in because uh, Delta and American Express were in the middle of negotiating a multi-million-dollar, hundred-million-dollar credit card deal, and the problem is, is Ron Allen has decided that they don't want American Express. And Ken Chenault said, "Why not?" And he says, "Well, you got this mileage manager thing and your new credit card." The problem is, is all of the statements of all of our best customers are going to Colorado Springs. We no longer have any data on our frequent flyers because (laughs) the home city, the resident city, which they they were doing their marketing from, was coming out of Colorado Springs. And I go, well, what's that got to do with me? And he says, well, you ever heard of the Cola Wars? And I go, yeah, Pepsi and Coke. And he says, well, we just blinked. (laughs) <laughs> and immediately, <laughs> immediately, 20,000 square feet of new space that I'd put aside or rented out to process all these statements, I lost all that business overnight because, hey, when it comes to credit cards and big money, it talks, Randy listens, and that's my war story. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, we could probably do part two, part
1: three, part four part 10 of uh, talking to you randy but our time is up for the uh, for the podcast uh, element of our chat here today so um i'd love to say for those that are tuning in on the audio that randy is sat here in his superman outfit but unfortunately uh, he's he's not in his superman outfit today but uh, <laughs> it, it only goes to say um, really on behalf of david and i thank you so much for joining us on how I got here. We really appreciate your time and your, your stories and everything that you've been able to share with us today. Thanks, Randy.
2: Oh, Kevin and David, thank you. You've both been around a long time. Uh, I'm big fans of yours. I know your contributions to the travel industry. It is duly noted. And thanks for uh, being part of uh, uh, a great story, even my story, so thank you okay uh, you're
1: very kind so thanks ever so much so uh, thank you very much to everybody uh, tuning in this has been how i got here that's a uh, focus wire and Moseo's weekly podcast where we talk to uh, innovators and entrepreneurs behind travel and transportation so uh, thanks again to randy and from david and i thanks ever so much for everybody tuning in we'll see you next time
0: Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more insight stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.